Last time on the Frustrated Fans, Pete and Jeremy ranted for almost two hours on Star Trek Into Darkness. But what comes up for them next? It's the anime. It's the anime of all animes. Dragon Ball Z. Find out what happens when our heroes tackle the history of trunks. And we're back. Yes, we are. Welcome to Frustrated Fans Episode 12, Dragon Ball Z, The History of Trunks. I'm your co-host, Pete. I'm your other co-host, Jeremy. And welcome to our dip into the across the Pacific into Japanese animation. Yep, and we, we've talked about anime a tiny bit in previous episodes, mainly death and fiction. Yeah. But we decided, you know what, if we're going to do an episode based off an anime, why not do it off the anime that everybody knows, that even people who don't know anime know, oh, I know Dragon Ball Z. It's that show where they go, ah! And then it goes, next time on Dragon Ball Z, ah! Pretty much. Which, to be fair, that actually just does describe a couple episodes of the show. Basically, if you grew up, if you were born in the 80s and child of the 90s, more often, more likely than not, you at least have heard of the show. A lot of modern cartoon watch kids growing up may not be as familiar with it because the show is, I mean, it's been over for years. And even with Dragon Ball Z Kai, it's definitely lost a lot of its huge steam. But it's kind of one of those quintessential anime that almost everyone saw. Yeah, it was also kind of like one of the only anime to really be shown on TV over here for a while. It's it's in the tradition of Speed Racer. Yeah. Certainly. Where it's a Japanese animated show that was marketed the hell out of here in the States, and a lot of people at least know something about it. So, what we're talking about today is actually one of the many Dragon Ball Z movies. How many do they have? Uh, There were 13 main ones. There were two TV specials, which this is one of them, History of Trunks. There was a, what was called an OVA, which was actually a video walkthrough for a Famicom game, which then got changed into an FMV game for the Bandai Playdia, which never actually came out over here. And then they reanimated it completely as a full movie and released it as part of Dragon Ball Z Raging Blast 2 for the PS3 and Xbox 360. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then there were a couple more movies. There was Goku and His Friends Return or whatever. That, like, new bit of animation they did. Right, and then the Battle of the Gods. Battle of the Gods. Recently, which I actually saw in theaters. Yeah. That was kind of cool. Oh. And then... Um, eh. Dra- it was 20 bucks, and I figured, you know, what the hell do I have to lose by going to see it? Yeah, and then... Except time and being in a room with other nerds. <laughs> yeah, there was which, also Dragon Ball, which had, I think, like, a few movies, and GT, which had one movie, which I think it was, like, more of a TV special, and then... Using the animation GTUs, they did like a re- like a retelling of the original Dragon Ball as like one movie. So in terms of, I think there's like I think there's like almost there's like probably about twenty Dragon Ball Z movies or more or Dragon okay. Ball total. Well, so there's twenty movies, and in total, we're talking about a franchise that has expanded. Let's see, Dragon Ball was was I believe it, how many episodes? I, believe it was like 150 episodes or so. I'm looking it up right now. I know Dragon Ball Z was 291. Don't ask me how I know that offhand. Yeah, uh, Dragon Ball was 153. 153, 291 for Dragon Ball Z, and 64 for Dragon Ball GT. Can you tell which was the most the sh- popular? The show of shame. Uh, Dragon Ball GT. Everyone hated it. <laughs> yeah, 64 episodes. Yep. So, let's see, that's 153... Plus 291, plus 64, 508 episodes. Damn. Wow. And you want to throw in 20 movies or so? This, this franchise has been going on a very long time, and I'm sure its creator, Akira Toriyama, is a very wealthy man. Yeah, and they're even doing more with it because there's a Japan-only game, Dragon Ball Online, which Toriyama has stated is actually canon with the show. That's impressive. Yep, and uh, because he hated it, they made it canon, and so it, era- it erases GT out of canon. Oh, gosh, how terrible. <laughs> Not much of a loss there. I do want to do a couple of one of the more wacky episodes of GT one day. I, I would be down for that. I'm actually, 
I will defend certain moments of Dragon Ball GT. Actually, there, we shall. That show had a few. That show had some moments. The last, to be fair, the last three or four episodes of that show were incredible. Okay. And, well, for the TV special we're doing today, we this is actually canon to series, yep. which most of the movies are not. They're kind of what ifs. Yeah. Uh, this is deals with kind of like. Well, he introduces time travel uh, towards this, I'm going to say, the second, letter third of the series? Whatever the cell count Yeah, series. it was about halfway through. Halfway through. Because I believe and, Goku went Super Saiyan at, like, episode 95 or something like that. Don't, I okay. Have, don't ask me how I know these random factoids. Nerd! Because <laughs> yeah, I'm a nerd! Toriyama introduced time travel, and basically a character who was merely a baby at the, at the point in the story... Had grown and come came back in time, and there was this whole bunch of stuff with different timelines. It's it's fun, but what this what the main movie we're dealing with today concerns this character known as Trunks. What were the timeline he came from? Yep, and this so. is basically it's an alternate future. It's one of those kind of like messed up future storylines there, and it's dystopian usually, is what you're thinking of, huh? Dystopian, yeah, where a lot of shows did it with like screwed up futures where but it was kind of like always done as a what if sort of thing kind of like when we did gargoyles and right, we did that yeah. screwed up future however in this one the screwed up future is actually canon in part of the story it's just an alternate timeline that get it just get set up as an alternate timeline but is part of the main anyway it's the main character Goku who if you're not completely familiar with the show Goku is like the Superman of Dragon Ball. Whenever things are down, he comes in and wins, and that's the end of it. And so, pretty yeah. yeah. There, are, there's very few storylines or movies or whatever have you that Goku does not have to finish. Yeah, it's actually one of the major criticisms of the series, considering how many characters they often throw as quote unquote fighters. Yeah, and it's another criticism because Toriyama wanted to pass the reins on to Gohan, which is Goku's son. And that's how they finished the Cell Saga, which was supposed to be the end of the show, but the animation... Merchandising. Yeah, Merchandising. but essentially it was, hey, we're making tons of money, you need to do more, and then Goku came back as the main hero, and then GT literally Ugh. actually went with Goku wins, and everybody else is completely useless. Like, nobody else in GT actually defeats a villain. So, in this one, Goku's dead, in this alternate timeline, Goku's dead, he dies of a heart disease... And suddenly these two robots, androids, appear and kill everybody else. <laughs> yeah, they're kind of dicks that way. Yeah. And the only person who survives is Gohan. And so the story takes place, I think it's supposed to be like 13 years later. And so Trunks is a teenager, Gohan's an adult, and is trying to fight the androids by himself. And we find out that Trunks is the son of Bulma and the character of Vegeta. So he has potential to be super strong, but is kind of weak at the moment, because he's young and he doesn't know how to fight. That's the basics of the story. We'll get into that. We'll get into what we, how we got into involved in the series after a quick, our first break. Sounds good. And we're back. Okay, Jeremy, why don't you talk about how did you get involved in this series? Well, I watched it all the time when I was in high school. The, the way I originally found it was I would, when I was younger, I would get up really early on Saturday mornings to watch cartoons, like 6 a.m. Good times. Yep, very good times. And one morning I turned on one of the channels, and all of a sudden I watched this cartoon where this one guy who's in like a martial arts uniform and this green guy are fighting this guy with really long hair and armor and weird looking armor. And I had no idea what the heck was going on, but it was kind of fun to watch. It reminded me, I actually thought of street fighter is uh, the one in the martial arts uniform was Goku. And he used the Kamehameha, which is like this big blue energy beam. And it reminded me of the Hadouken from street fighter. Uh, the very next episode I watched, I found out this was like the second episode of the show. The very next episode they aired that I caught was about 30 episodes in, where they're on Namek, 
and it was Vegeta. And I'm like, oh, I wonder if he's related to that guy with the really big hair from that other episode. <laughs> I had no idea what was going on. I mean, they, they had a, there was a point where I was watching it and they were calling Goku Kakarot. I thought it was an insult. Like, that's how little I knew about this show. <laughs> and I was talking with my friends who knew about it. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's his Saiyan name. I'm like, what's a Saiyan? <laughs> Oh, boy. Yeah. So I didn't know much about this show, but eventually once I started getting into it, I would watch and rewatch what had had been dubbed and then found out, like, oh, it's from Japan. There's all this stuff that was cut out. It's really this more adult show. No, it's not. Because <laughs> all the fan subs at the time were throwing in swear words and stuff. And, yeah, it was definitely a lot more – it was more violent in the original Japanese version. I mean – now, looking back at the original dub, there are some hilarious moments, such as uh, the character Gohan standing in front of a cluster of what are obviously graves, doing a little prayer and saying, I hope everyone got out okay. Oh. Yeah. So Fun of, Not as bad as four kids. Yeah, this is true. <laughs> um, I mean, I was so into the show eventually that uh, the channel, the international channel, every Sunday would air the show unsubbed. Like, there were no subtitles. I didn't know what the heck was going on, but I would watch it because it was further along than the dub. And that's actually how I saw the entire Android and Cell saga to start off with was through the unsubtitled version of the show. But you had no idea what was going on? I, I was able to follow along with it eventually. Um, it was when I just kind of first jumped into it. I didn't really know what was happening, but then I just kind of was able to follow it and understand. I had no idea what they were saying. But it was still interesting to watch, and the fight scenes were cool. And Can't argue with that. Yeah, and of course, it made the Goku and Piccolo learn how to drive episode even funnier, because I had no idea that's what was coming up. <laughs> and I will admit this, when I saw Piccolo dressed up in like a t-shirt and like purple pants and a backwards uh, baseball oh, cap, yeah. I yeah. fell off the couch laughing. Like, I could not stop laughing when I saw this image. It was the best thing ever. And, yeah, so I've, I've seen all of Dragon Ball Z. I saw a good amount of Dragon Ball when they started airing it in the U.S. I think I watched it up until, like, the second tournament. I've seen all of GT, which, I mean, for good or for bad, I've seen all of GT. And I've seen, I think, all the movie. I've seen all the movies... Except for, uh, I haven't seen any of the original Dragon Ball movies, and I, unfortunately, I've seen the plan to eradicate the Saiyans, which is that complicated one I mentioned before, where it went through four iterations, because it was free as a part of Dragon Ball Z Raging Blast 2, and so I watched through that, and it's awful. I don't recommend even going near it. <laughs> and yeah, I used to really be in the show into the show. I used to love playing when Dragon Ball Z Budokai 1 came out for the PlayStation 2 way back in like 2003. I played the heck out of it because it was the first Dragon Ball Z released in the game released in the US that well, that wasn't final bout and didn't cost over 250 bucks. And I actually still enjoy playing some of the games. Uh, if anyone's even remotely interested in it, Dragon Ball Z Budokai 3 is actually just a solid fighting game and is really fun to play. Uh, check it out. It's They released it as part of an HD collection for the PS3 and 360. It's really fun. Like, even, like, I had a friend that I would play with it, play it with, and he didn't even like Dragon Ball, and he thought the game was a lot of fun. The uh, There's a PSP Dragon uh, Budokai tag team that's actually kind of fun, too, because it's uh, two-on-two. There's actually there's another PSP one, uh, Shin Budokai Another Road, which is actually a semi-sequel to History of Trunks. Wow. It takes place years after. It's basically what if the Boo saga happened as part of Future Trunks' timeline. Huh. And so he's he actually calls in help from, like, all the characters from the past and everything, and it's actually pretty good. And you can even play as Future Gohan in it, the one from the movie, and he only uses... He has both arms. At one point in the movie, he loses an arm, but he only you he only fights with one of them. Like he'll only swipe and stuff with one of the two arms, and he can use Piccolo's uh, special beam cannon attack. Neat. Yeah, so it's actually pretty cool. Okay, from my own experience, um, I could remember the series first advertised and being shown on the local WB affiliate here in St. Louis, but it was ridiculously early. I'm talking five thirty to six. 
Yeah, and I'm wondering. I remember seeing, remember seeing ads for it, and I'm like, okay, that's looks a little weird. Uh, but I family member of mine, who unnamed, yeah, I didn't get up that early to watch TV. He did. My family picked up Dish Network come late grade school, and I got to see Toonami for the first time. I started watching a lot of the series because it was on after school, especially and. So the two major series I was watching was Dragon Ball Z and, well, Gundam Wing. And I got hooked on, certainly, Gundam Wing more than I did Dragon Ball Z to the point I still have Gundam Wing on DVD. Still sits on my shelf. That, can be, that may be another show we may need to do another day. But, um, but as far as Dragon Ball Z, um, my I didn't watch every episode in order. And that was my phone, excuse me. Um, <laughs> yes, Star Trek nerd. Sorry, right. I have the Star Trek Communicator app where if you act like you're flipping it open, it opens up. Like if you flick your phone to the side, it'll open up and make the sound effect. And you can, Very even, nice. you can even use it to make calls. That's awesome. I um, I saw my first episodes right in the kind of the end of what's called the Saiyan Saka, where it's Nappa and Vegeta versus Goku. I missed a decent portion of the early part of the Navix, Namek Samex, Namek saga, except for the weird filler app with the cloak ship, and I saw that, it was like my third episode I'd seen ever, and I'm like, okay, what's going on? Yeah, I came around, I'd say, I guess, Zarmon's death, and I followed there casually, becoming very involved towards the end of the major Goku and Frieza fight, and following that, I tended to stay with the series fairly well, at least to the end of the saga, say, Cell saga, but after the Boo saga started coming out in the year, in the States, I was like, I was done. Mm-hmm. I thought the character. I thought it was just getting stupid. When Dragon Ball GT came out, I was like, "Oh hell no!" <laughs> I saw I saw the concept for it. it. Was like, "Hey, Goku reverts to being a kid, and they have to travel off the universe to track Dragon Balls." Okay, what else is on? Yeah, when I had heard of and seen some of GT before that, actually, because when I first looked at Dragon Ball Online, I found the picture of Super Saiyan Four Goku, and it scared the crap out of me. It's like, <laughs> what the hell is that? And um. The first bit of GT I actually watched was not it was a it was an English dub. It's known online as the Blue Water dub. I don't know why it's called that. However, it is the worst thing you will ever witness. The voice acting is atrocious. Uh, unlike the US release, they actually kept the original music, but the voice acting is so bad. Like, it's almost comical at points, but then there's other points where you just like want to cover your ears because they might start bleeding. Wow. Yeah, the the main part I remember of it is when Krillin is killed for like the 80 millionth time or whatever. Um, 18, his wife leans down. And she goes, no, Krillin, you can't die. I'm not exaggerating that performance. It's that bad. Wow, that's a Bella. That's a Bella Swan level bad. Yeah, it's pretty terrible. Um, okay. If if you feel like torturing yourself or just want a good laugh, I would recommend checking that one out. So when Toonami started showing the original Dragon Ball, I did actually start watching that at least to the end of the first Pilaf saga. And uh, most of the movies I actually haven't seen to the modern era, most because I couldn't make it when Toonami would show them as specials, and. The movies I'm having to, I'm learning I'm having to beat Team Four Star to watch them before they do because they'll ruin the movies for me, <laughs> as well as they make it hilarious at the same time. That too, yeah. I've seen, I was able to see most of the movies. Uh, one of my friends had them as subtitled on a VHS, and he put a ton of them on a VHS for me. So I got to watch like Lord Slug, uh, both cooler movies, the first and third Broly movies, and. The probably the one of the best movies was the fusion movie, where we get Gogeta, and that one was very entertaining. Especially because you have two little kids fighting Hitler. I mean, it doesn't get much more funny than that. Of course, <laughs> don't you know anything about science? <laughs> yes. So there's still something captivating about the series, minus the obvious copying of Superman and Moses mythos at points. Yeah. Seriously, I mean it. Well, I used to listen to a Dragon Ball Z podcast, and at one point, is you know, after Dragon Ball ended, then we get Dragon Ball Z, which was Justice League. <laughs> Technically, it was. All right. Well, I think you need to geek out about the music after our next break. Excellent. You can't 
N-O. I'm not going to lose my only son to those mechanical demons. No way. Trunks, don't you dare. Trunks, no. Darn you. We are back. All right. So so we need to talk briefly about adaptations and companies that do them. Yeah, and locations. Obviously, when it comes to J- Japanese material, they doesn't come to the states for free. And we're talking back. This is back in the '60s, all the way back with uh, Speed Racer, or in the early '80s with Voltron. Basically, what we get from Japan has to be licensed, and there wasn't this big profitable enterprise for it pretty much until the 2000s. Yeah, I think Dragon Ball, so, Dragon Ball Z and Sailor Moon kind of spearheaded the whole thing. Oh, right? definitely. Those two were the most popular for a while, and those kind of opened the gateway for all the others. Uh, for movie-wise, I know Akira was like the most well-known, because I think it was the only anime movie that ever got released over here for a while. For a while, anyway. So, when it comes... Now, as a result, we've seen over the last, I'd say, two decades, a lot of small, uh, big um, licensing companies pop up, some that are very good, and some that are notoriously bad, and get delisted from the New York Stock Exchange. (laughs) Poor kids! Oh, you had something on your throat there. Now, when it comes to actually changing over material from the original Japanese to English, and stuff that's doing for American sensibilities, obviously there is some stuff that is cut or changed or modified. Yeah. That happens. Yeah. A lot of the time, but, the stuff that gets modified, just in general in anime, is lines of dialogue that reference something that only if you're familiar with Japanese culture that you'll understand. And right. So, or messy things that may reference stuff that American cartoons generally don't cover. Yeah. Well, it, I, it, uh, see you in the next dimension. Yeah, it, that one just kind of depends on if the show's being directly translated, if they're going to go with like what the original was like, they'll keep stuff like that. But for the most part, I've seen some shows they'll make in the Japanese version, they'll make a reference to something in Japanese culture or something like that. And the U S version will completely ignore it. Right. So, though, I, I've seen a lot of shows where they do keep those, like, um, Angelic Lair and Azumanga Daio keep every single Japanese culture reference in them. Whereas, c- companies like, as the infamous Four Kids, <laughs> kept next to nothing. Yeah, they'll, not only will they remove all those references, they'll change names to, like, actual, like, you know, uh, American names. Like, uh, Joe Nochi gets changed to Joey. And things like that, which at least that sounds similar. That it's not that I don't have a problem with, with but when you change core plot points and yeah. then obviously you get fans who throw a fit. Yeah. Now Four Kids is one of the most infamous for this, Especially. mostly from what they did to the series known as One Piece. Oh my God! Yeah, they uh, they tore that show show a new one. It was, well, from what I understand... It's not a kid's show, yeah. and they made it a kid's well, show. Well, from what I understand is they didn't know anything about it when they licensed it. All they saw was a few clips, and they saw the art style. And went, oh, because the art style, to be fair, a lot of the art style is kind of kiddish. And so they looked yeah. at that and went, oh, we can do this at a kid's show. And then they actually got it and looked at it and went, oh, crap. And so right. they edited everything. Like, they changed... Every single gun in the show got changed to, like, a cork gun or a squirt gun or, in one case, a boot on a spring. (laughs) That – oh, no, there is a scene in, like, the second episode of the show. In the Japanese version, it's this guy holding a gun to a kid's head, which, okay, I can totally understand them wanting to edit that because, yeah, you're not showing that to kids even though uh, Gargoyles did a good job with showing off guns and stuff. So what they did was they kept that gun handle, but they edited out the gun, and it is literally like a hammer or a boot on a spring. And he goes, you better back off or I'll pound this kid into the ground. Yeah. <laughs> and the other big Porkins terror is what they did to the theme song. Oh, I don't, you know what? I think I mentally blocked it out. I, I'll cover it real quick. I don't to make a very story short. What run One Piece original Japanese song, as I recall, is kind of orchestral. Yeah, pretty standard for Japanese shows. And they made it. And when it came to the U.S., they made it into a rap. Oh yeah, I don't remember how it sounded. I don't want to remember how it sounded. But now, here's the thing: 
when it comes to soundtracks. For the most part, I mean, I'm not a huge Japan nerd, but I understand keeping the original Japanese music mm-hmm. when it's appropriate. But at the same time, it, we just talked about Power Rangers. If you've ever seen Zero Ranger, the very first series that Marty Morphin was based on, we did better when it came to series music. And I'm not making that up. So I'm not arguing that Americanizing the music is a bad thing, but it has to be done very carefully. Fortunately, Dragon Ball Z has usually been in the hands of decent companies most of the time. So we get some very iconic songs, such as the uh, the earlier played Rock the Dragon, which has Vegeta's theme, which is just... Bloody hell! It's the best thing in the series. Yeah, uh, the when go. I actually like some of the scenes in the English version of Dragon Ball Z with the Funimation music than I did in the original. Like when Goku goes Super Saiyan for the very first time, they use in the English version they use this kind of like epic music for it, and it's got like a little bit of a rock type to it. In the Japanese version, it's just kind of like generic background music or none at all, which I. Th- from what I've read online, people have given reasons for that. Is In the Japanese version, when it first aired, nobody knew what the hell was going on, so it was kind of like this mysterious moment. Whereas in the U.S. version, they're like, okay, people know what's going to happen, let's do something cool for this. Makes sense. Yeah. So, let's talk about what Funimation did for this movie. Alright, so, if anyone has seen the original, outside of the original three Dragon Ball Z movies, uh, Dead Zone, World's Strongest, and Tree of Might, which were done with the original dub, the everything after that, they started using licensed music. Uh, for the actual show, a guy named Bruce Falconer did, I think, all the composing, and he did a really good job. But for the movies, they got somebody else to do it, and the original music for the movies doesn't sound all that great, and unfortunately, that same guy got moved over to Dragon Ball GT. And so the, that explains a lot. Yeah, the U.S. Dragon Ball GT music isn't all that good, unfortunately. Um, I actually, one time I watched a clip where Goku goes Super Saiyan 4 for the first time, and I put in the Super Saiyan 3 music from Dragon Ball Z, and it made it, like, infinitely better. But uh-huh. for the movies, for some reason, I, I actually did look online to try to see why they did this, but they used licensed music from actual bands. And lo and behold, they picked bands like Drowning Pool, Disturbed, Pantera, and in the case of this movie... Dream Theater. Yeah, that's right, folks. Dragon Ball Z is freaking metal. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's actually kind of cool. And I did look on, but I, like I said, I looked online to see why they did this, but there were no real results. And I got reminded of why some of the people who watch this show are out of their damn minds. Like one guy ranting for pages about how the dub music is ruining the show. Then don't watch that version. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> don't watch it. Um, and I also got to find out that I'm not the only person who got into Dream Theater through this movie, and that made me feel better. <laughs> Just as I felt kind of weird getting into a, a, a progressive metal rock band through Dragon Ball Z. But my theory about it was it kind of makes it feel like a like a real movie because a lot of movies use licensed music, and so they were like, oh, it'll make you, it'll make it feel bigger than normal. And I even remember back when I was, like, one of those lame Dragon Ball Z nerds, you know, the dub is stupid, it's blah, 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 they're pronouncing stuff wrong, blah, 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 you know, that stupid crap. God, I regret doing that. Um, uh, I, we all have those moments. Yeah, I or was obsessed with, like, the power levels and crap. Um, huh. I actually always enjoyed the dub music, and I remember one of my friends and I, we both agreed, like, we weren't huge fans of the dub, but we both agreed that the music was amazing. And we always really liked it. And then when I saw this movie, and I heard when I first saw it, I heard like the rock and metal tracks. I'm like, oh, that sounds pretty good. And the song that really caught my ear was at the end, is they actually kept the lyrics in it. And it was called Through Her Eyes by a band named Dream Theater. And I immediately went on the free file sharing program of choice because this was 2001 or 2000. And iTunes didn't exist yet, and file sharing, everybody was doing it. (laughs) And found the songs, and the majority of this soundtrack is by progressive rock band Dream Theater, and it's a really good soundtrack. And I went out and bought the album. I now own 12 of their albums, including a few live ones. And 
so all the tracks were taken from scenes from a memory, and they didn't use any of the vocals when there were vocals. But this is actually for three really good reasons. Uh, the only exceptions to this were through her eyes and a part of the song called Regression. And even though the lyrics of Regression have nothing to do with what's going on. Um, but yeah, so Scenes of Memory is a concept album. And it tells a full story. And so the actual lyrics always, almost always have something to do with that story and have nothing to do with the Dragon Ball Z movie, and they're, they don't really work out of context. And one of the few that actually does, The Spirit Carries On, isn't even used. And the lyrics to the songs they picked, uh, Beyond This Life, which is played when Gohan fights the androids at the amusement park, and the song Home, which is used for like when the androids start killing everyone, the lyrics have absolutely nothing to do with what's going on. Uh, if you actually listen to lyrics to Beyond This Life, they have nothing to do with a fight even though the tone of the song, like the actual feel of the song and the speed and everything of it were perfectly for a fight. And also the lyrics to those two songs are very inappropriate for little kids. Uh, Beyond, this, yeah. Beyond This Life's lyrics essentially are a recap of a newspaper article covering a murder-suicide. You know, for kids. Yeah, so that's why... Because I remember when I first heard the lyrics to these songs, I was like, wait, this was in Dragon Ball Z? And when I played it for my friends, they're like, "This was used in Dragon Ball? What the hell?" Mm-hmm. Yeah. Though the one track they really did play the lyrics for, and you can always hear the lyrics, is "Through Her Eyes," and the lyrics to that actually fit the, what they're used for very well. And it's also mm-hmm. just a really nice song, and I highly recommend checking them out in general. It, if you like rock, if you like metal, if you even like slower melodic tracks. Check out Dream Theater. They're a fantastic band. Okay. So we'll get into actual plot details after our next break. Sounds good. Uh, where's your pioneering spirit anyway? Don't you want to help Goku defeat the androids? Look, Mom. I don't need any dead people from the past to help me beat the androids. I can beat them right here and now. I am a Super Saiyan, you know. So was Gohan Trunks, but that obviously wasn't enough. Go and get yourself killed if you want to. I'll take the antidote to Goku. But if you think throwing your life away senselessly is to make Gohan happy, you're wrong. Don't talk to me about Gohan. He was my master and my friend. What do you know? So let's talk some plot here. There's a plot? Oh, right. This is one of the good movies. Never mind. Right. This is one of the few good movies that actually adds to the plot instead of just merchandising. (laughs) Instead of just adding another villain that can be used in the video games. Pretty much. So as Dragon Ball Z movies go, this one's actually fairly consistent. It's self-contained. But it has its flaws. There have been far worse movies. (coughs) A tree of might. But... This one definitely ranks up there with the better ones. So, however, we need to address a couple of major points. First, Goku dies from a heart virus. Okay, sure. People get sick. This happens. Um, are they forgetting the whole name of the series here? Dragon Balls? <laughs> Dial up Namek, have Goku wish back to life, and boom, and have him keep in hiding until he and Vegeta can double-team the androids. Yep. Moreover, what's to prevent this heart virus from spreading to others? Um, I hate to say it, but Dragon Ball Z abridged reasoning of Goku having a heart attack instead of a heart virus makes more sense than what they went with here. Yeah, I'll agree to that. Uh, the one, the thing I like about it, though, I think the reason why they went with like a heart virus or something like that is he dies without actually being in a fight. Like, he dies from a virus, of all things, rather than fighting some super being. Right. Yeah. And if you... That's why I said the lyrics to Through Her Eyes actually work really well, because they say things like, um, sacrifice without a fight, and things like mm-hmm. that. You know, never really had a chance. And so lyrics like that, it fits how Goku died. It's, Fair enough. He never actually got to fight them, so... Yeah, maybe the reasoning behind it, you know, the actual heart virus itself, there's some plot holes, but I I like their idea of having it that Goku doesn't even die from a real fight. Okay, fair enough. Okay, second major point, and we need to cover the quote-unquote, what they're called, quote, Z-fighters, collectively. 
if you've never watched the original Dragon Ball and you're just tuning in for this series the first time, as both of us did, mm-hmm. you may wonder who the hell is this Tien guy with three eyes. Yep. Or Yamcha, and why he's so worthless. <laughs> or why is there a mi- why is there a mime <laughs> who is a midget with the group? Yeah, and I remember actually in the original dub, and even in this one, they called them Earth Special Earth's Special Forces. Even though Vegeta was part of them now when they showed him, but you know, yeah. which that at least worked better than Z Fighters because it could be put to all of them. So what are they called in GT? GT Fighters. That being said, it's not that these guys don't have a place in the story. They're all tactically competent fighters, except especially since you know the beginning of Dragon Ball. They've all been learning, and they all have, you know, they have creative minds. But the only reason all of these guys are killed off is pretty much just to set up adult Gohan and Trunks as the only one left. Okay, I get that. But after the androids myrtleize Piccolo and Vegeta outright... Who are the strongest of them all. Why are Krillin, Tien, and company still charging these guys? Yeah. Because they even say in the mo- and. You, we can't even make the excuse of, oh, they were the first ones to get killed. The first thing the movie says is Piccolo was the first one to try. And, and then, then Vegeta. And then Vegeta was next. Uh, my favorite line from the tub is they're like, then Tien and Yamcha, even Krillin was killed. I'm like, even Krillin? They just demoted him under Yamcha. <laughs> they did. <laughs> uh, I'd went to the Krillin own count counter. <laughs> I love how the way they kill Krillin, too, is they fire a pair of beams into his mouth. Is that the implication? That's what it looked like to me. Yeah, fair enough. You really don't see it. So, it's... I get that it's a storytelling that they needed to kill off all the other characters, but even from what's established in plot, it doesn't make a lot of sense that everyone would get killed off quite so quickly or without even trying to run away. Though, yeah. Though, granted, since the androids were so, like, vastly superior to them, they could have just caught up with them. Okay, point. But then again, the androids like to toy with their food, essentially. Yeah. So, I don't know. It just seems like a minor plot hole. But let's talk about a major plot hole. 17 and 18, the two androids who are brother and sister. Yeah, um, when I watch this, remember watching the show originally, I'm like, what are they, boyfriend and girlfriend? They, I don't remember them ever explaining that. Mm-hmm. Even to the point that there's almost a Lannister level of squick. If you start watching, reading it too much. For those who don't know, they're brother and sister. Yeah. <laughs> just, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm Lannister, and I'm just like, there's almost an incest vibe at points. It's just like, or maybe I'm reading too much into it. I think you might be reading too much. God, I really yeah. hope you're reading too much into it. Okay. So it's explained in the last quarter of the movie by the androids that they have really no interest in ruling the world, despite the fact that they have the power and means to do so. Yeah. And it was basically programmed to them by their creator, Dr. Jero. It's like killing, killing stuff. And but we're not told this, like I said, to the last quarter of the movie. Well, we just see the androids just kind of be dicks and kill people at random for most of the movie. We're not given a motivation why, other than to just establish their cruelty. That's how they get their but, jollies. Fair enough. But they're doing this for 13 years. Okay, that Even that's got to get boring at some point. You know, it could have been explained pretty early on, a lot earlier on in, okay, then. And instead of having us in the last quarter of the movie, oh, yeah, we don't feel like conquering the world. Like, especially given the quote-unquote evil characters who later turn good mean that this series spawns, you know what? Most of the evil bad guys wanted to rule the world. Yeah. Or in Frieza's case, ruled everything. Yes. Though Cell was basically just, I think he was more focused on just I became perfect. Now do I, what do I do? I'll just start, yeah. I'll just blow up the planet. Yeah. It's a Wednesday. Yep. But let's actually talk about a point this this movie actually does. Right. Filler characters. Yay! And the show is notorious for them. Oh god. <laughs> to the point that when they were making the kind of the remake of the show, Dragon Man Dragon Ball Z, Dragon Ball Z Kai, they cut this stuff out. If you've ever watched the original show, it is filled with copious amounts of filler. Whether we're given filler episodes, this is the the awesome driving episode. Yep. 
or were actually given in the middle of the bloody fights, it keeps flashing back to any other random characters. Or we'll just get moments of just nothing happening. Characters just looking at each other. And to the point that when I was watching the series proper, I started to really hate the character Chi-Chi. I know she's comic relief. I didn't care. Yeah, she's pretty annoying. So, and I've been also wondered what the hell a talking pig and cat were doing around here. But again, <laughs> yeah, that I didn't see either. Before I saw the original Dragon Ball. Yeah, with Master Roshi, they at least, for the most part, reference the fact that he was Goku's teacher. But here, the filler characters actually used well. Agreed. Bulma's an important minor character as she's not only developing a time machine, but she's trying to rein in Trunks from doing anything stupid. Okay, fight the androids. And she comes off as, like, a realistic mother, too. Right, who happens to be an engineering genius. Moreover, Chi-Chi, she actually shows some character development herself. She's she's still worried about her son, but she's not obsessing over him. And she does mention to her father that, like, if Gohan dies, she's going to lose it. I really would have loved to seen what did happen after he did die in the in the movie. Right. Like it would have been nice for them to go back to her, like maybe Bulma and Trunks going to them and telling them what happened. Yeah. By the way. Yeah. Hey, how's it going? By the way, <laughs> this happened. <laughs> it's like, hey, Ox King, can you remove any sharp objects from the room? In short, the filler characters are doing. They're at their best. They're moving the story along instead of just outright stalling it for time. Yeah, I even like the scene with Roshi and Oolong and Puar where Roshi, unable to stand listening to what the androids are doing, does step up and says, that's it, I'm going to go fight them. And it takes the two of them to like reel them back in. Right. I, Again, I, it I, adds to the movie instead of stalling it. Exactly. He wants to... He's actually one of the more powerful fighters in Dragon Ball, and he's stronger, he's way stronger than, like, the average person. But, uh, granted, he never would have stood a chance, but it was good to see him not being used as pointless, like, pervy comic relief. (laughs) Granted, some of those moments were pretty funny, like, where he pinched Chi-Chi's butt and she slammed a table over his head. We'll take a break, and then we'll talk about the actual main characters here. Sounds good. Trunks, you don't even know if you have any arms and legs left under that blanket, but you're saying that you're ready to pilot the time machine? First things first, okay? Why don't you just concentrate on healing up for a couple of weeks, and then we'll worry about getting the antidote to Goku. Alright, so let's do a quick rundown, or not as quick rundown, just a rundown of the main characters of the movie. And right. We already talked about the bit ones. Um, we're we're going to go into a little bit more about Bulma. Is she's one of the she's actually treated as a real main character in this, yeah. As opposed to an afterthought in the majority of the show. First one I think is Gohan. Is the Gohan in this movie is very different from almost every other iteration of the character. Right. Like, we get to see grown up Gohan or teenager Gohan in the Boo Saga, and he was actually kind of bland. In that in that section, yeah. when he gets in the late Boo Saga, when he gets like a full power, when he gets like his full power finally released and everything, he's he becomes more interesting and then is completely shoved to the side of GT. But I really like this version of him, where you know he's focused, he's you know gentle with his friends, he's pretty good fighter, and he cares more for everyone else other than himself. You know, he wants to protect the world, he wants to take his father's place. And he's still definitely still feeling the ramifications of watching pretty much most of his surrogate father characters die. Yeah. At the hand of the androids. Yep. And he has a really good older brother dynamic with Trunks. And I really enjoy every scene that the two of them are in because Gohan comes off as caring, so he shows like a little bit of Goku, but he even shows like a little bit of Piccolo, where there's a scene where he's training Trunks and kind of knocks Trunks off a cliff, and Trunks gets caught in, like, a little whirlpool, and says, like, no, you got to get out of it yourself. You can do it. Just, (laughs) he kind of goes with the, you know, like, the hard knock school that Piccolo gave him. And I like that. I I think that was a nice little subtlety with him. His death, however, is... i got a question of him throwing, what some people have called, throwing his life away. Yeah. 
because he he's got one arm and he still takes on the androids. Yeah, it's pretty much knowing he's going to his death. Yeah, it's a pretty impressive fight, though. I got to say that he yeah. that he puts up with one arm, and it's kind of something that he inherited from the others. Is he'd rather give his life on the small chance that he could destroy them rather than just let the androids run free and not do anything. And I have okay. and. A lot of his dialogue to them before they kill him is says, you know, even if you kill me, someone will take my place. You know, you can't... Star Wars. Oh, oh, yeah, well, oh. no, it's just, you can't destroy what I really am. And I think he did this because he knew that he couldn't do it, but he had a feeling that Trunks would be able to if pushed enough. And he knew that even if he failed, Trunks would be pushed to the point that he could go Super Saiyan and eventually become powerful enough to defeat the androids. Well, let's move on to Trunks. They use kids and teenagers a lot in this series. Kind of weird how they do it. I mean, how how old is Gohan supposed to be on Namek? Five? Yeah. Maybe six? And he's pretty much, he's stronger than Krillin. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's, he doesn't, the kids in this show, with a couple of exceptions, don't act like kids. No. I don't really, and that's one of the things I don't like about the show is, go. that's the, probably one of the, good things they did with Goten and Trunks in the Boo Saga is they actually act like kids. They're pretty... They're, kids who can destroy the planet, but yeah. yes. But they, they act they have pers- the personalities of kids. Like, they don't understand their own power. They like to goof around. They don't take much seriously. They want... They think that, you know, like, oh, being more flashy in battle is better than just killing your opponent, even though Piccolo tries to tell them not to do that. Well, that that's behind here. That's this whole series has a problem with that. Yeah, the to be fair, Piccolo actually says during the boost, he's like, "No, just kill him. Screw everything else. Just kick his ass." Right. <laughs> um, those two are probably the best example of little kids being used and them actually acting like kids. Even though, granted, they do get a little a grading at points, but they're kids. You know, they're not going to act mature. And no. Gohan. He's n- he was never used very well as a little kid. He came off as a kid sometimes, but then he came off as like an adult in a kid's body. And I don't know. He but granted, he actually had a personality as opposed to the beginning of the Boo Saga where he was just bland. And right. he didn't really come off as a teenager. Not you know what? His classmates came off as more realistic teenagers than him, and even then they just were kind of bland too. Where so when it comes to this iteration of Trunks, he's pretty much like a real teenager. Yeah. He's defiant towards authority figures like his mother, with the exception of Gohan, because he looks at Gohan as an older brother, and he wants to be like Gohan. You know, mm-hmm. he's brash. He's easy to get fired up. He doesn't think things through. And as we end up seeing in his first appearance in the actual show, kind of a cocky dick when he wants, you know, his... In that moment in the show, he's finally going up against someone who is pretty much vastly weaker than him, and he enjoys it. Like, he doesn't just kill Frieza, you know, without saying anything. He taunts him. He taunts Frieza's father. He kind of acts like a jerk, but it's the first time he's been able to do this. And since he's, again, he's a teenager, he's not going to be you know, professional or something. It's like, hey. Well, I would I would go far as to say like father, like son. Yeah. When and Vegeta is taking on someone who's weaker than him. He definitely plays with his food, so to speak. Yeah. Trunks got a little bit, got to the, just kill him a lot, a lot quicker. But he all, his Vegeta sometimes got let things get out of hand. Like when he was mm-hmm. fighting Imperfect Cell and Imperfect Cell's like, if I absorb 18, I'll become more powerful. And Vegeta's like, okay, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> yeah, um, but no, I really like Trunks in this movie, and he goes through character development. You know, mm-hmm. the Trunks we see at the end of the movie is very different than the Trunks we see at the very beginning of the movie. Well, granted, yeah, he has to watch Gohan. Gohan die, sort of. And, he wakes up after Gohan's dead. Yeah, um, and also get his own ass kicked by the androids. Uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah, he definitely has an arc. Yeah. At first, he just wants to kill the androids. He thinks the only solution is to get strong and beat them, which he's part sane. In this show? In this show is pretty much par for the course. But 
he eventually learns that after Gohan dies, after Trunks just gets annihilated trying to fight them, Bulma's plan of we need to go back in time, yeah, it's a bit more complicated, you know, kind of overly complicated, but he looks at that and realizes, you know, yeah, what I'm doing isn't going to work. What Gohan tried obviously didn't work. And despite the fact that he's Vegeta's son, which Vegeta's plan is always, I'm going to kill it! He actually was more cautious after his loss. And in the actual show, whenever, like, they're going to try to fly... Uh, like, when Vegeta keeps trying to fly off and kill the android and say, like, oh, I'm going to kill the androids, Trunks keeps trying to stop him. He's like, no, we need to plan. We need to figure this out. We need Goku. We need everybody. We need to be at our strongest. We can't just rush headlong into things. And I think that was a result of his character development from this movie. And, Arguably so. Yeah, and he's really he goes through a good arc in this movie, and I re- I think it's probably some of the best writing they've done for like a teenager kid character in the entire show. I would agree. So that just brings us to uh, Bulma before we get to the bad guys. Yeah. And previously mentioned, she's let's face it. With the exception of the Namek saga, she's a filler character. Yeah, she, she has do anything. Yeah, she has more screen time than the other lesser, like more minor characters in the show, mainly because of her technological know-how. Like she actually is shown a lot in the Android and Cell arc. Uh-huh. But yeah, I mean, she's used. That's the only reason why she's used more than the others. And like in the Boo saga, she's barely in it. The only time. To be fair, though, in the Boo Saga, when she's used, it was actually pretty good. Like, using her reaction to Vegeta just mass-killing a bunch of people. That was really good. But in this one, she's... uh, Again, she gets to be a main character. And unlike the main timeline, Bulma, who takes her baby into a war zone... Yeah. I think that's one of my favorite lines from Dragon Ball Z Bridge, where Trunks looks up and goes, Did she bring me?! Yeah. <laughs> uh, this one is cautious and overly mother's trunks while also trying, you know, understanding why he wants to go just in fight. But she and she's not yelling at him because she thinks she's he's, you know, an idiot. She's trying to teach him. She's trying to say like, "Look, it's not going to work. You can't just run out and fight them and I don't want to lose you." Because she's already lost everybody else. And by the end, when she is able to convince Trunks, you know, what the real solution is, she's proud of him. And she even, like, smiles when he says, like, all right, I'm ready to go back in time. And she goes, you know, under that blanket, you have no idea if you even have any limbs left. Let's just get you, let's just get you better first. Torso boy. Yeah. So. <laughs> what was that from? Torso? Uh, Weird Al. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> All right, we'll get to the villains if we do a break. Sounds good. Now the woman's here! Mama, no! Did she bring me? Until we come to the greatest weakness of this movie, the bad guys. Yeah. And to be fair, the villains of every Dragon Ball Z movie kind of suck. With a couple... Like, there's a couple of small exceptions. Um, Broly is just, like, so intimidating in terms of power and what he looks like and everything. He comes off as a very impressive villain. Especially yeah. the fact when the characters punch and kick and blast him, he just kind of stands there and doesn't even flinch. They have this scene in the first Broly movie where Vegeta blasts him, flies at him at full speed, and punches him in the chin, and Broly's head barely moves back, and then he just smiles. I think they copy that for the Cell Saga. Yeah. After Cell powers goes to from semi perfect to perfect, Vegeta kicks him in the head, and Cell just kind of looks at him like, "Hi." Yep. And there's this look of "Oh crap" on Vegeta's face that's just glorious. Yeah. And yeah, so with seventeen and eighteen, yeah, they're pretty bare bones. And unlike in the main timeline, in the main sh- in the actual show, where they were very different, the ones in that one were very different from the future ones. They actually mm-hmm. started developing personalities. These two until are, they get omnomed, but yeah. yeah, these two are just evil bastards who want to have fun, and that usually means mass killings and blowing up cities. And yep. it is fair to complain about the fact that the villains have no real personality or motivations. Or motivation outside of I want to blow stuff up. 
this is Trunks' story. It's not their story. And yeah. they're mainly but, just used as plot devices to help his development as a character. Well, that's a thing. Good villains can make a, be- a good hero even better. This is so. true. I mean, see Wrath of Khan. Or Joker to Batman, but yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, what we're given is, for what the movie is, it's kind of what the plot in the movie needs. It's just two heartless killing machines that the viewer wants to see die. And, and they don't get that because no, and that I think is always a good strength is they they make you want to come back and see how the story will eventually result. Oh, and they do resolve up. Yeah, they do resolve this in the actual show. Uh, there is an episode after Trunks leaves, he ends up back in the future and his future anyway. Yeah, his future yeah. and seeing him go up against the androids then is probably one of the best moments four trunks in the entire show where he shows up as they're like, as they're about to kill another man, as they're about to blow up a city and just toys with them at first where 18 keeps attacking him. He just dodges her without even trying punches her through a building before she can even say anything. And then when the two of them gang up on him again, he just plays around and then blows up 18 without even trying. Yeah, and and then you just see Seventeen's oh crap moment. Yeah, and he scares the hell out of Seventeen, and then he kills Seventeen as well. Yep. So I that was such a good moment of after watching this movie and hear you know all the stuff he has to go through and him talking about this horrible future in the show. It's mm-hmm. one of the most satisfying moments in the show to see him just take these two out after being so, you know, becoming so much more powerful than they are. So, final opinions then? Yep. I think it's a great movie. It's one of the best examples of storytelling and character development in the damn show. Trunks, damn franchise. Yeah. So. Trunks is relatable, he's interesting, and I really love the brother-slash-mentor dynamic he has with Gohan. It's very well... Even if it's too too short. Yeah. So, And, heck, it's even better than Gohan and Goten in the actual show. Like, those two don't... There's not much done with that. I can't even remember that, to tell you the truth. Yeah, there wasn't much. The moments where they're training together are actually pretty decent. Like, the, there is a funny moment where Goten turns Super Saiyan for the first time and scares the hell out of Gohan. And he's like, what? When did you learn how to do that? Oh, I did it the other day. <laughs> and, Wait, uh, what? Yeah, and we find out Goten doesn't know how to fly yet. And so Gohan starts laughing at him, and he's like, that's like learning how to run before you can crawl. <laughs> yeah. So like those moments are actually... And him teaching Goten how to fly is actually pretty fun. But no, they, they actually do more with the brother, and, like older brother dynamic with Trunks and Gohan than with Gohan and his actual younger brother. And right. As I stated, I love the dub soundtrack for this. I love the Dream Theater songs. And the animation holds up pretty damn well, which it actually does for a lot of the movies. Because they got, like, the A-team for every single one rather than some episodes of the show where they got, like, the D-team. And I think it could have benefited from a longer running time because they could have done more showing on how, like, the Z-Fighters died or just done a little bit more with 17 and 18 as actual characters and we could have gotten more scenes with Gohan and Trunks, or heck, like I said, we could have gotten a scene with um, Bulma and Trunks going to Chi-Chi to telling her Gohan is dead. But, outside of that, it's a really good movie, and if anyone's a Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z fan, and you haven't seen this, why haven't you watched this yet? It's fantastic. And even if you don't like Dragon Ball Z, I actually kind of suggest checking it out. You might even like it, because it's not the typical Dragon Ball Z story. As for me, you know, I'm nothing I can. No, other than nitpicking, I can't really say anything bad about it. It's a, one of the very few solid DBZ movies that doesn't have a one off villain that is never mentioned again or brought back as a cyborg. <laughs> or just come back and then cloned and turned into a goo monster. Right. It actually adds, mytho, uh, adds mythos, it adds plot foundations for the main series. Instead of just doing it for merchandising, like the recent Bardock movie, or the new Battle of Gods movie. Oh. Which is, don't get me wrong, was fun, but if it was, if you're thinking it's used for anything but selling more toys, 
or video games, yeah. the villain of Battle of the Gods is like the main villain of the last uh, Dragon Ball Z mo- uh, video game, Battle of the Sea. Mm-hmm. Which, of course, it takes forever to get to him, as every Dragon Ball Z game has to be like, hey, let's start you off with Raditz, and then you have to go through the entire damn story. I have fun with that. Yeah, no. This movie could have been flushed out for more, t- more development, but otherwise it's fairly good. Yep. Alright, so what are we doing next? Well, as we said last time, there's there were two subjects we hadn't really covered yet. One was anime, which I think we did a pretty good job this time. Uh-huh. I'd like to think so. And video games. Gotta go fast? Gotta go fast. And uh, Oh, wow. Alright, so... We're both pretty big gamers. And we tried to figure out what was a good game or just idea to start off with. And, Pete, this was your idea. I know. I'm regretting it. <laughs> you haven't even played it yet. I know. I'm regretting it. (laughs) Well, because Pete decided that we need to torture ourselves, even though I've played this game many times before, shockingly. It's just, it's been a while. We're going to cover Sonic the Hedgehog 2006. Oh, what has I done? (laughs) Yep. This is, we will go into it, of course, plenty next time. This is not the Sonic the Hedgehog that we grew up with. Nope, and it's not even the cartoon ones that are marginally better. Yep, nope, this is the Sonic that falls in love with a human princess. And gets kissed by her to wake him up from a coma. No, he's dead. Oh. He's legit dead. (laughs) You'll see. (laughs) Oh, dear. Yep, hold on tight, folks. The next episode is Sonic 06. Wish us luck.